I'm Pauline Jennings. Welcome to Musician Talk. This episode of Musician Talk is sponsored by the Northfield Arts Guild, and I am here to encourage you to check out Atmospheres, a Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra concert that includes a newly commissioned piece by Timothy Marr, featuring Eleanor Nemisto on harp. Performances are November 3rd at St. John's Lutheran Church in Northfield and the 4th at the Cathedral of Our Merciful Savior in Faribault. Both shows are at 3 o'clock. The other show coming up for the Guild is Sweet Charity, a musical comedy set in 60s New York. It's a show filled with fabulous dancing, terrific music, and romance. The show runs November 3rd to the 19th, Friday and Saturday nights at 7.30 and Sundays at 2 o'clock. For more information for both shows, go to northfieldartsguild.org. By the way, tickets for the CVRO concert are sold at the concert, and tickets for Sweet Charity are available online by phone at 507-645-8877 or visit the Guild Shop in beautiful downtown Northfield. I hope to see you at the show. My guest today is harpist Eleanor Nemisto. Veteran of and principal harpist for the Rochester Symphony Orchestra, this weekend she is the featured soloist for the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra Concert. As well as teaching harp at both St. Olaf and Carleton Colleges for years, at her private studio, Eleanor has also been teaching harp to the area's old and young. Outside of teaching and playing music with multiple orchestras, performing for the elderly, yoga classes, and church, she is a very busy musician. I am so grateful she's taken time out of this busy schedule to have a chat with me. It's time to talk with Eleanor Nemisto. Welcome, Eleanor, to Musician Talk. Well, I'm very glad to be with you today. Thanks. I'm really happy to have you on, too. And um, Eleanor and I met up at Wasner Audio yesterday and recorded a couple things that you're going to get a chance to hear today. So that was fun. Got a chance to know you a little bit before we did this interview. So that's awesome. And this is a great time to have you on because coming up this weekend on Saturday and Sunday, you have a concert uh, with the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra. We'll talk more about that later. To start, let's just go back and talk about when you first started playing music. Just take us back to the beginnings for you. <laughs> well, mm. there's a family story that my dad uh, looked at his brand new baby daughter, me, and said, oh, my goodness, that baby has such long fingers. I bet she's going to play the harp. <laughs> <laughs> and he made it happen and got me a harp and a harp teacher when I was about eight. And, wow. Uh, yes, I know. I still have that harp and um, I've been playing it ever since. So for a child, is the harp smaller? Is there a small version of it for well, kids? Not at that time. There are now because um, uh, there is Suzuki harp. Uh, okay. has been developed and they do now make smaller harps. There have been in the, you know, historically very small harps, medieval harps were small and you can carry them and Irish harps are small. So a child can easily play an Irish harp. But at the time I started, I started on a small pedal harp. Okay. Which was probably too big for me, but um, I grew pretty fast. <laughs> it's certainly taller than you. It is. For yes. sure. Yes. So, okay, so you started taking lessons at eight? Yes. Mm -hmm. And how did that go for you? What, what did you think? What did you think about the harp? Oh, oh, everyone loves the harp. It's, it's loads of fun to play. I mean, it, there are a lot of things about it that are a nuisance. It's big, hard to move. It's expensive. It's hard to tune. It's not easy to play, but it sounds so good. Right. <laughs> I can't imagine why anybody wouldn't want, why everyone doesn't want to play the harp. I mean, it's, it's really loads of fun. So uh, did you play it with your school? Did you play with your elementary school? I didn't play in elementary school because they only had band. Okay. But there were community orchestras and I got to play in a community orchestra in high school. And also, also youth orchestras. There were some, some youth orchestras in the state. I grew up in Michigan, so near Detroit, there was one. And so you had um, youth orchestras before high school, or just did you start playing in orchestras in high school? In high school, yes. Okay. So you just took lessons and played for your teacher between eight and high school. I played for some things like 
a lady's tea party or somebody's uh, anniversary party, a few things like that, Christmas programs, that kind of thing. So you got a chance to gig? A little bit, yes. A little bit, okay. And then you started in the orchestras in high school. And Mm -hmm. tell me about some of those opportunities. Well, um, in in Detroit, there there is, of course, a real close border with Windsor, Ontario. And there was an international youth orchestra that took students from both the Michigan side and the Ontario side of the border. And so we did rehearsals um, in both countries and concerts in both countries. Wow. And that was really fun. There was also an all-state orchestra in Ann Arbor. And I got to go to, my dad would drive me there. Uh, every other week, and I would take lessons from the university art professor in Ann Arbor. Wow, wow! And so, how how much were you? How often were you playing when with those youth orchestras? Well, those were usually during the school year. Okay. And sometimes I would go to summer camp, you know, in the off season. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you? start to think this is something I want to do for my life's work? Um, I think I sort of never stopped thinking that that's something I would do. Okay. And when I took lessons from the University of Michigan part professor, she kind of encouraged me to keep going. And I did eventually go to um, college in the University of Michigan. I did for- try a few other places, but that was really the best fit for me. Why? Well, partly because I was familiar with the area sure. and in-state tuition, and it's a big school, big music school, and it was comfortable. So you went there for a music degree in harp. Yes. And how many stu- harp students were there at Ann Arbor? Oh, usually between six and ten. Okay. Yeah, it was a big program. And so you played with their orchestra college orchestra I played with they have two orchestras and I okay. played you know with one or the other and then I also played with the University of Michigan concert band which is where I met my husband he was in the band okay all right the bass trombone player in the Michigan band and so how how often do bands have harps not very band? often but yeah. the John Philip Sousa band had a harpist and occasionally there will be harp part in mostly contemporary, you know, mostly modern music. But of course, seventies was modern then. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's occasionally included. Did you have uh, music for everything that you played with the band? No, absolutely not. Okay, so what did you do? How did you figure out what to play? Sometimes I would adapt a part from a piano part. Okay. Or sometimes I would just sit and knit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay. So, so you met Paul at college and mm-hmm. did you guys, uh, did you two play together from then on or was it kind of hit or miss with depending on what band and what orchestra you guys were both? Well, in? he was uh, a couple of years ahead of me. So he okay. graduated and got a job in Canada in Nova Scotia. And um, I joined him a couple of years later. And I did get a chance to play in some orchestras on the East Coast of Canada. There's one called the Atlantic Symphony that toured um, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Prince Edward Island. Nice. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. And so that was when you, after you went up to be with Paul in Nova Scotia, that right. you joined that group. After that, um, we got a master's degree. We, we zipped back to Ann Arbor to get a master's degree. He got a sabbatical <clears throat> leave from his his high school. He was in a high school. And a couple of years later, he was looking for a college job, and he was looking for a job that was closer to family in Michigan. And one of the openings was St. Olaf College. So he was employed and has was ever since until he retired a couple of years ago. At that time, were you married when you got a job? Yes. Yeah, we were married when when I went to Nova Scotia. Got it. Okay. And so when did you start teaching here in Northfield? I started at Carleton, and then I played in the Rochester Orchestra. Occasionally Mankato, Lacrosse, Winona, 
I was with Rochester almost nonstop and I, I still am with Rochester. And then I've done some other things. Sometimes I'm filling in for somebody occasionally playing with a choir kind of Christmas programs, things like that. And it sounds like you could pretty much work as much as you wanted to. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I did. Um, and I read here that there's an endowed chair uh, at the Rochester and Lacrosse symphonies in your name. Is that the way to say it, first of all? And then what is an endowed chair? An endowed chair is where someone in the community um, helps pay for the services of a certain musician. For example, for me, they'll say, I want to pay for the principal harp. And they make a, a yearly contribution to the symphony that helps sponsor that musician's salary. Wow. Well, that's really neat. So there's somebody out there. Do you know who it is? Well, for many years, it was the Rochester Music Guild. That just must be such an honor to have somebody want you to play so much that they that they pay for you to play outside of the organization. That's really Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. a nice honor. Now, you are retired from teaching at the colleges. I'm retired from St. Olaf. From St. Olaf. Okay. Yeah, I taught for quite a few years at Luther as well. Okay. I'm, I'm only teaching at Carleton now. Do you teach private lessons as well? I have a, quite a few students. Well, not so many now. <laughs> quite a few of my students grew up and re- went to college. So I'm <laughs> little stinkers. But I'm, I'm um, down to about, about four right now. Now, currently, you're playing in CVRO occasionally. and, and Very occasionally, yes. Okay, and uh, the Rochester Symphony. Mm-hmm. orchestra and pick up gigs wherever else they might need a harpist. Right. And, right. Uh, got it. Okay. And teaching still. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, that is fabulous. And I'm so glad that, that your father had that idea when you were born by looking at your fingers and that that was followed through on. That's pretty unique. I'd have to say. Yeah, it is. It is. And that you stayed with it and that you decided that it was something that you wanted to do as well. Sure. Absolutely. I like playing the harp. It's fun. It's beautiful. And um, it's given me a lot of opportunities. I mean, the harp is very versatile. You can play with solo, in a band, an orchestra, with a choir, in church, in hospice. I also sometimes play for yoga classes. Nice. And, yeah, it's very fun. So um, one of the songs that you have played in the past, and it's sacred, a song called when peace like a river. And that is the, um, that's the first song up today. And I wanted to know why you chose that piece to record at Wazner audio yesterday for the show. Well, the reason I chose it is that when, uh, Tim Marr who wrote, is, has composed the piece that we're doing next weekend, um, was starting to think about that. He was thinking about rivers and the Cannon river and the Cannon Valley and, and he says, I might include a hymn. Do you know the hymn, When Peace Like a River? And I said, yes, I love that tune. It's a, it's a really beautiful hymn. So the reason I'm playing it for you is that this hymn tune is hidden in the piece that we're doing, Where the Waters Run. It's, it's not real obvious, but the tune is in the piece. And it might be fun for the audience to just kind of see if they can find it. Yeah, he put it in there just so that it would be part of the river theme. That's really that's really cool. It's a Easter egg, I think they call it in TV shows when something is yes. hidden. Yes, it's an Easter egg. And um, well, so let's take a step back before we int- continue to go ahead with uh, introducing when peace like a river. Let's take a step back to this piece that Tim wrote. So Timothy Marr is the retired band director at Saint Olaf. And he was commissioned by CVRO and the Northfield Arts Guild uh, to write a piece. Um, And I believe it was in honor of your and Paul's 50th anniversary, if Mm -hmm. I'm correct. So that it kind of ties in the beginning of when you were talking about when you met Paul. And um, and so you three of you put your heads together and talked about what, what this should be and came up with the idea that it should be a harp piece because you play harp and uh, it also features trombone as I understand, which Paul plays, but he'll be on 
the um, he'll be conducting CVRO, so he will not be playing the instrument. And so this commission piece is being played at uh, Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra CVRO's concert on November 4th and 5th at three o'clock on the 4th. It's at St. John's Church in Lutheran Church in Northfield. And on the 5th, it's in Faribault at the Cathedral of our uh, merciful savior. We'll talk more about that later, but now let's get back to When Peace Like a River, which is the song we're going to play here. When you were first learning this, I assume you've been playing it for years. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. What When you first started playing it, do you remember any challenges that you had learning this song? Um, no, I've got lots and lots of collections of hymn tunes, and um, some are better arranged for harp the harp does better with the the quiet ones the more peaceful relaxed um flowy tunes mm-hmm. than the, you know like easter morning brass and bang 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 you know sure um, and this is one of those calming relaxing hymns that's just pretty and the arrangement that i have by daniel burton is just very tender and um colorful it's fun to play because it's so pretty. I'd say it's also emotional. I mean, it's not, there's not movements, but there's different sections um, that take you to different places. He does it. The arranger does a really good job of making each verse sound a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. Like one verse is in the tenor voice instead of in the top voice. Right. And that's very sparse compared to a a different part of the song. So, um, okay, folks, we're going to play it now. It's When Peace Like a River. And you got to get into your head and memorize it uh, before you come to the orchestra concert (laughs) this weekend (laughs) so that you can listen for that Easter egg in in amongst what's going on. That's right. So here's a chance for you to hear Eleanor play on When Peace Like a River. And here it is.
This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. You just heard my guest today, harpist Eleanor Nemisto, play When Peace Like a River by Horatio Spafford, recorded this week at Wasner Audio Recording Studios. It is so beautiful. It's just such, it's a beautiful piece, and you play it beautifully. Thank you. Before we continue on to talk about the, the concert a little bit more, I do want to have just a quick tutorial on harp. I didn't know, I don't know much about harp at all. I didn't know that there were pedals on harp. And watching you tune the harp, I don't know even how it's possible because there's so many strings. How do you teach that? Well, there's 47 strings on a modern concert harp. And you have to tune every single one. I mean, there's no way around it. The strings are, um, most of them are gut, which is severely affected by changes in humidity and temperature. So they're temperamental. Um, It's much easier nowadays than it used to be because everyone has a, you can get an app on your phone that will register the pitch and tell you how how to tune it and get it right in tune. Otherwise, otherwise you need to use your ear. Yes. Got it. When I started, you had a tuning, tuning fork and you whacked it on your knee and you set it on your butt next to your head and you went from there. Wow. I can't imagine how bad it must have been for me. <laughs> I was not very good at that. But it's much better now. You just have to be careful that you get there's a little there's a tuning wrench, a hammer that fits on the on the pin, and you have to make sure you get the hammer on the right pin so you're turning the right string. Because if you get the wrong one, then you're in trouble. Right. And so 47 strings. That means that there's more than one octave. There's almost as many octaves as a piano. Got it. Seven and a half octaves. Uh, but not as many keys, yeah. not as many notes. Well, I've got all the notes of a piano because each string has three pitches. Mm. Each string has the flat, natural, and sharp wow. of, its, of its letter name. You, do you get to those different notes by using the pedals? Yes, yes. Okay. Each string name, for example, C... All the C's are controlled by one pedal, which can be flat, natural, or sharp, depending on whether it's which notch it's in. There are three notches. And so uh, there's seven letter names in the musical alphabet, and there are seven pedals for each one. Okay. it's This is so, so complicated. I can see why it's, uh, uh, as, as uh, Timothy said, Timothy Marr said it's a it's a simple instrument but very complicated to play. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Okay, so my last question on uh, this tutorial is so you have these pedals and you change the pitch of of by a half a step it sounds like by by pushing by putting it in a different spot. So if you're playing something and the the harp has incredible reverb the the notes last for a long long time and so if you hit something hit a note and it's a c sharp and then you go to a different part of the music and it's maybe a couple measures later but that c sharp is still holding its tone and you changed your pedals and now you're playing a c how do you do you have to mute that c sharp so that it doesn't clash or does that just not happen oh it happens Oh, yes. It's a nasty sound. Okay. Got it's it. It's a really nasty sound. So you have to mute. You have to also mute strings as well as play them. You know, on a piano, when you pick up your finger off the key, the string is, is muffled. Got it. No, muffle, no muffling on the harp. It's all done with the, with the hand or a finger. Do you use your finger to mute the string to stop it from vibrating? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Either, either a single finger, several, or a palm. The whole flat of the hand. Wow. Wow. In- incredible. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that tutorial. I bet you that's not just me that doesn't know much about the harp. So this concert and this piece that Timothy Rotmar wrote, Timothy's not a harp player. And so I assume that he needed to lean on you a little bit for for some information about, about how to proceed. Um, but if you could just take me through some of the process of this collaboration. Well, yeah, Tim was very open. He said, I really do need your help to learn about the harp because he has written some harp parts for his band music. 
but they weren't extensive and they weren't, I wouldn't say idiomatic to the harp. They didn't take the best advantage. So I brought them to the house and I sat them down behind a harp and I said, try this. And I said, look how long that rings. Listen to how long that rings, how beautiful it is. Look at how, how what a glissando sounds like. That's one of the most beautiful sounds on the harp. And yeah. I can do all, and I was showing him, you know, I can play eight notes at once. I can <laughs> play chords. I can play arpeggios. You know, a lot of composers are dismayed by the harp because they think, oh, it's so un- hard to figure out what's going on. The pedals and it's so daunting and they'll just ignore it and, or write something simple. And, and I, I, I wanted him to see the advantages and the beautiful things that a harp can do and not be dismayed by the challenges. Just, just ignore the challenges. Go for the, the parts that are idiomatic and sound different than anything else. And he was very open to that. He put in a lot of the things in there that I suggested. He must have learned so much in this process. I know it was the first piece he wrote for symphony. Otherwise, he's written the compositions he's done has mostly been for band. We're going to play a couple sections. We, meaning you, played and we recorded a couple sections of this of this piece. And I have to tell you folks, this is the first time it's being heard except for being played by a MIDI kind of thing where when you're composing a piece and you have all the different parts and you put it into a computer, the computer can basically play it back. It doesn't sound great, but you can at least get an idea of what it's all going to sound like when it goes together. So this is the premiere of part of the piece. And that really is awesome. And I'm very excited about it. Um, It's only the hard part and just a few fragments of, of the theme and then a little bit of the first cadenza. Let's play just the the, the beginning piece that you played. Uh, set that up for us. Tell us a little bit about it. We'll listen to that. And then when we come back, I want to hear about how you prepared to play this. Um, okay. Okay. Well, the piece is basically a trip from beginning to end of a river. You know, Tim was, um, imagining in his mind, and he wants to take the listeners on a journey about different aspects and qualities of water. It starts very slow and dark and deep and quiet, gradually building and getting faster and more bubbly. And then there's some lots of bubbly parts and flowing things and sparkling parts. There's also some very industrious. He wanted to show what happens when the river is you know, used by humans and put right. through, you know, put to use by, by communities. And there are some, some dark and kind of scary parts. There are some very bucolic, you know, parts. Yeah. It sounds like people are dancing on the side of the river, maybe even singing a hymn. <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint. Hint, <laughs> yeah, it's in there somewhere. And then it flows off into the distance and has a very, very quiet ending. So what you're hearing now is the very beginning. It's very soft and slow and deep and murky, but it's building up. And then the water kind of bubbles out into a faster flow. Great setup. Let's take a listen to the beginning of, and I'll say the name now, which I haven't yet, Where the Waters Run by Timothy Marr. This is just an excerpt of the beginning and just the harp. Here it is. So you have some glissandos in there as well. That kind of starts maybe the bubbling aspect. I'm not sure. Um, Yeah, it's beautiful. It's just, you're right. The harp, there's just nothing. There's just nothing like it. I don't know why this matters. Maybe it has something to do with me thinking about you preparing for the piece. Um, 
the level of difficulty for you? Was it a big challenge to learn this this piece? From the very beginning, I told him, I don't want to have to work too hard. I don't want it to be so, <laughs> I don't want it to be so hard that it will stress me out. But also, I want it to be playable by a really good high school harpist. So it'll be played again. Yeah. So it is at the level of a high school player. A good high school player. A really good high school player. player. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Um, so it's not ridiculously challenging um, because I didn't want it to be. And sometimes he wrote things that were just awkward. And I said, you're going to have to change that. I can't do it. I'm nice. just not going to be able to do it. And I want to be more comfortable so that yeah. I'm not stressed about it. So technically, it's not terribly challenging. But Dr. Marr is really into changing meters, <laughs> <laughs> multiple things going on, lots of uh, rhythms that are not so straightforward. So there are some uh, rhythmic things that are interesting for the harp and for the orchestra. And when you say change meter, that means change time, means like if, instead of four beats in a measure, there might be five beats in a measure. There might be um, seven. There might, might be seven, right. Sometimes there's, yeah, several sections. There's six, four. Sometimes it's six, eight, three, eight, five, eight, seven, eight. All those meters are in there. Wow. Oh, <laughs> no. What? Yeah. <laughs> so did you prepare for this like you prepare for other pieces? Um, or what? Tell me about that, preparing. Well, the fact that it had never been played before, it means I had to put in all the pedal changes and all the fingering. Okay. So that, that was the first step, to get fingerings that worked comfortably and that I could execute gracefully. And then I listened to the MIDI, which um, is not very flexible. You know, it doesn't have a lot of phrasing. So then I had to, my next step was to get it up to the printed tempos. So some things were a challenge to get fast enough. And I got most of them up to tempo, not all. <laughs> yeah. And then the some final step was to make it flow. Okay. And I did get some professional coaching so that I could have an outside person who wasn't invested in it to say, you know, oh, you could think more about the phrasing here. You need to bring that out. You need to be more dramatic with this. You could, um, you know, could you change this so that you, the climax is here instead of there? So there was a lot of give and take to um, make it more artistic. Got it. And okay. more fun. And um, when you say fingerings, um, it, you don't always use your four same fingers on those notes, depending on how it's written. Correct. You want to use fingers that will, where you don't have to do a big skip or a jump. And so that the phrasing feels natural. And so that it's convenient to move from one spot to the next. Because on the harp, you have to look at your hands. You really do have to look. Um, there's no, no, every string feels the same. And the strings are small. Yeah, about the size of a crack of a piano between the piano keys, you know, <laughs> right. not that big. No, look. So, and one hand is on each side of the instrument too. So that's another reason why fingering has importance because you have to be able to go between your eyeballs have to be between the music, the conductor, and the harp. Okay, and so uh, unusual pieces is the fingering written in? Often it is. Often, yeah. Often okay. Yeah. Especially, you know, if it's been played by a lot of people, um, there may be several versions and you can choose which one works for you. And I've spent a lot of time working on fingerings. I bet. I bet that's so key to to the yes. flow and to the phrasing and to the, yeah, how, how it comes out of the instrument. Absolutely. So this next part of Where the Waters Run that, that we recorded is the cadenza. What is a cadenza? for? Not a condensa, a cadenza. What is that? Yeah. Well, literally the word is from the word cadence, which means a stopping point. Usually in a piece that features one instrument or several instruments, there's a point at which the the rest of the group kind of rests for a second while the 
solo voice or the solo instrument expands on something and just Mm -hmm. plays alone and more freely and is not um, joined by other instruments. So it's just a little bit of a soliloquy, basically. Wow. So it's yeah. it's really your moment to shine. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And you know, they do it in jazz too. They say, Yeah, take a turn and and one one person will will give their own take on, on the tune or the chord changes. So it's a little bit like that. It's just a solo reflection. What's in your head when you're playing this as far as reflect as as you're reflecting on the piece and on this section of the piece? Well, in this section of the piece, I think it's it's mostly about this uncontrolled kind of movement of water it's not it's not predictable it okay. kind of splashes around and i think that's kind of what i'm thinking about it goes up it goes down it splashes over this way it goes that way it goes up and it goes boom, and circles around and it, there's a lot of swishing and swirling there's also some bumps and knocks <laughs> in it that, are, that are unusual um just for fun you know i, I just think it's playful i and i found that it's um it's also unpredictable. Maybe that's part of that part of that bouncing around thing of a river. It's, you can't you can't really predict where that water is going to bounce off of, or where it's going to go after it bounces. And and yeah, so that in a canoe or a or right. a raft, you know, you just really have to keep your eyes out because you don't know what's going to happen. This just absolutely delighted me when I heard you play it, and it still does. So um, let's take a listen to the cadenza of where the waters run a commissioned piece written by Timothy Marr for the CVRO concert this weekend called Atmospheres. It's on Saturday and Sunday. Let's take a listen to it. there is the cadenza and that sounds, I know you said this is not all that technically challenging, but it sounds like it is. It sounds like there's a lot going on that you're keeping track of with those two hands ears. What would you say was the most challenging part of learning this part of the, of the piece? It goes by pretty fast. Right. It's a matter of keeping, keeping ahead of it. You know, you have to keep your brain ahead of it. <laughs> it sounds like you have to keep so much, go- so much in your brain while you're playing the harp. It's, mm-hmm. it, there's a lot to keep track of. We will move on now. Thank you for that. Thank you for the music. And thank you for coming out to Craig's and recording. And I'm encouraging everybody to check out the show. If you're in, in Northfield, it's on Saturday at St. John's and um, in Faribault on Sunday at the, uh, the Cathedral of Our Merciful Savior. Uh, but moving on now, I have, I, I have the section that I do every week. Um, sometimes I don't do it, but I'm going to do it today. And it's a quote of the week. And I'll tell you what, it's not easy to find quotes by harpists. I had a really hard time. So I, I, I fell back on the most famous harpist probably of all, uh, at least in non-harp circles um, and non-musician circles, which is Harpo Marx, which I did not know that, that he played harp. And I assume that's where his name came from. I read the autobiography of Harpo Marx, and he was a really fascinating character. Just very, very intelligent, and he was actually a very quiet, calm, dignified person. You wouldn't know it from his, you know, persona <laughs> on, on, on the thing. But right. When, when he and his brothers were young, they did burlesque, and they were comedians and jugglers and and just goofy. 
And um, their mother was a, a real stage mom. She was trying to get them to be a little more classy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so she bought the harp because she thought it would, you know, add more class to their sure. act. Because they were pretty crude, <laughs> apparently. And so he just, he was so naturally talented. He picked it, he just picked it up. And, and um, he started kind of rough, but he did take lessons from some very famous harpists. And everything you see on the movies of him playing, he's really doing that. And he made the arrangements and he, um, he did it all. I mean, he, he is playing those. He's not, there's no faking going on. Wow. Well, it shows you, I haven't really watched Marx Brothers because I didn't, I, I would have known probably then if I had, that he plays harp or thought that he did mm-hmm. or pretended he did, but he really does play it in oh, the shows. He, really, he wow. really does play those. Nice. Yeah. You, can, you nice. can really tell because they focus in real close and, and he is playing and he, he did play very well. He sounds like um, from this quote, a humble man. And like you said, he, he he's quiet. So that kind of makes sense with, with that. Um, and he, here's the quote. I don't know whether my life has been a success or a failure, but not having any anxiety about becoming one instead of the other and just taking things as they come along. I've had a lot of extra time to enjoy life. I love this quote. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could just, of course, any aspect of your life, a quote like this would improve if you took it to heart. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how this speaks to you. What what the first thing you thought of when you read this quote, and then after that, how it relates to music for you, if it does. Well, I, I think the point is that um, the self judgment and uh, self criticism are are not really helpful. Right. And just enjoy the ride. Deal with what comes. Enjoy what comes. Observe it, but don't try to. Don't go out of your way to bend yourself out of shape to change things that can't be changed. Well, if we could all convince ourselves of that, right? That's a hard, it's an easy thing to say, a hard thing to really do. Um, I think musically, uh, it's it's so important, uh, critical, I would say, that that you're able to not have that anxiety about success or failure because you're going to fail until you don't. Because when you're learning a song, you're failing until you learn it. You're a teacher. And so do you address this kind of thing with your students? The hardest kind of student to teach is one who's a perfectionist. Yeah. Because they can't, you know, you're going to make mistakes. Things are going to go wrong. You know, it's hard and, and things are messy. Even if you practice it a thousand times, it could right. screw up on the thousand and first. The person who laughs and says, well, that was a mess. Let's try that again. Is the best student. You um, know, can just laugh at themselves and say, oh, well, let's do that. <laughs> let's try something different. But the student says, I know it, it went bad. I, ha- I hate it. I can't do it. I'm not going to try again. That That's not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get very far with that, are you? Oh no, that and it's it's very hard because that person wants to do well and they know they can, they know it can be, and music's harder than it looks and it's not going to be perfect. So just give that up. Exactly, it's by nature art is not perfect. So Eleanor, I just want to touch on your teaching a little bit more. What's your overarching philosophy when you're teaching your students? And is it different for your younger students that you teach in your private studio, uh, different from the ones that you teach that are college students? For the younger students, I do teach mostly using the Suzuki method. There's Suzuki harp. Um, And that involves listening, copying, learning to play the instrument by step by step, very tiny steps. Each step needs to be a success. So if a student is not getting something, we just break it down into smaller steps. You You just get it to small enough steps that you cannot, that you can handle it. And then just keep piling up the steps until it's more and more complex. Adults are a little different because they want to play a song. They want to make music right away. And they don't want to play something a hundred times to get, to get it right. So we have to kind of go from a, from a different angle (laughs) with adults. Well, adults are, um, 
are annoyed by the fact that it they understand something and why can't it happen? It's like, that, you know, I see. Sure, sure, sure. That you makes know, like sense. You, if you're playing golf, you know, you can see that little ball. You can see the hole. Why doesn't the ball go in the hole? <laughs> it should. It should it just do it. You see when a good golfer does That's it. Hilarious. Or, you know. When you say the Suzuki method, explain that. The Suzuki method um, is based on the one that uh, Dr. Suzuki developed for violin. It was adapted for harp by Mary Kay Waddington, who went to Japan and studied with Dr. Suzuki. It starts by, as I said, step-by-step, little tiny steps. Um, They learn to play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and some variations, and then gradually add more things. And And do they start by just listening, no notes? Yes. Yeah. They start that way, definitely. It's by rote. Yes. It's the way you learn language, you know, by hearing it, copying, repeating. Right, right. The modern Suzuki teachers incorporate reading. They they kind of start parallel um, with some of the fundamentals. So you're learning note values and steps and skips and reading clefs and that you're just learning the the theory and then gradually they're put together. So interesting. The note reading and the playing come together. They don't start all at once. That's too much. When a child's five, they speak their language and they have their accent and their inflection and they've got a lot of grammar. And then they go to school and they start copying letters and putting letters together and forming words and then learning how the sounds go together and the sentences and then. Right. Then they learn the, they learn the theory of language when they go to school where they've already done the learning of the actual language, how to speak it by rote. Yeah. And they come together. In, and they come you know, together. Exactly. Second or third Beautiful. grade. Nice. We are at the time of the show for best gig, worst gig. What do you have for us? Well, you know, I told you I've played for weddings. I've played for a lot of weddings. I think oh. the worst, I've played for two weddings during tornadoes. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I laughed, but no. no. Come on. Sorry. One was outdoors. One was outdoors and um, was in the country. And, you know, oh, it's that no. point where the sky turns green. Yeah. And the trees start to wave around. Oh, no. And. Well, I, just before the wind picked up, I managed to get my harp in the car that <laughs> was driving down the road when the when the hail came, you know. Right. <laughs> it was like that. And wow. another one I played um, was an in, indoors. It was a reception. And it was at Carlton. It was a beautiful setting. They had a nice dinner. And halfway through the dinner, the sirens rang. And um, <laughs> everyone had oh, to go no. to the basement. They had to leave their dinner on the tables. <laughs> Go to the basement. <laughs> wow. Okay. Your wedding memorable. You know? It does. It does. It gives you a story. Exactly. That's fabulous. Yeah. How about how about your best gig or one of them anyway? Um, I think I like the gigs that are nice and quiet, like a Christmas Eve service. Okay. Or playing for a yoga class. Um, or something you know, very restful, like in a nursing home or. Meditative. Meditative. Yeah, I like yeah. the ones that are extremely calm. And I mean, I, I enjoy the, the adrenaline rush of playing in an orchestra. Yeah. Because, but that's a little bit like being in a basketball game. You know, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of motion, right. a lot of pat back and forth and passing, and you have to stay alert. And it's, it's very um, invigorating. Mm-hmm. And people who come off the stage after an orchestra concert are real jazzed up. They're just so excited. And they're, right. you know, they're just popping with um, energy and that's wonderful. I also like the, the kind of playing where it's everyone's nearly asleep when you're done. <laughs> oh, Eleanor, that's, oh, no, that's considered a compliment. Right, I, played nice. home. I played in the nursing oh. home. Half the patients are asleep by the time I'm done. And that's right. You were know, nice. able to get them to the place of absolute relaxation. That's, that's yeah. fabulous. Nice. So in closing, let's just touch once more on the on the concert on the concert this weekend and um this commissioned piece. Has this happened before? Uh, have have pieces been commissioned for CVRO before? CVRO has commissioned four pieces so far. Wow. 
from from Northfield composers. Um, early in the history of the orchestra, there was a, a a young man that lived in town named Chris Forbes. Um, he's moved out since, but he wrote a piece for the bassoon player in the orchestra. There's a local composer named Rinaldo Moya. He has also written some things for the St. Olaf Orchestra, and he was commissioned to write uh, a trumpet concerto and also a, a kind of a meditative piece for the orchestra. And Dan Coleman, now what I'm thinking about, this will be the fifth. Dan Coleman wrote a piece for um, a narrator and orchestra about the uh, Haywood with dramatic orchestra background. Oh, cool. Commissioning a piece is, is a big deal. It takes money and cooperation. And we've had cooperation from Arts Guild, from CMAC, and from the American Harp Society. All those groups have contributed to getting the commission completed. How long ago did you have the, well, the we, confirmation that it was a go? Yeah, we talked about it more than a year ago. Okay. So when our anniversary was coming up, I was like, we should do something special for our 50th. How about if I get somebody to write a piece for us? Nice. Like, you know, why not? <laughs> what, a, what a gift. I don't know. So we talked to Tim. That was before he had retired. Not this past summer, but the summer before last. Okay. And we put in for the commissions and we got the, we got the grants. He gave us a final, final edit about two months ago. Wow. So it's a, it's a heavy lift. It takes such a unique talent, I think, to do that. And it's just, it's just fabulous. And it does take you on a journey. And so I just, again, want to tell people that this is the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra concert this Saturday and Sunday at three o'clock. Saturday, um, it's at St. John's Lutheran Church in Northfield. And on Sunday at three, it's at uh, the Cathedral of Our Merciful Savior in Faribault. And that that takes us to the end, Eleanor. I really so much appreciate you doing the show and having you on and getting to hear you play and to be part of you recording that song. I feel like now we're connected for life. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm just so pumped to, to go to the show on Saturday. I right. look forward to seeing you there. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Big thanks to Eleanor for sharing with us today her musical journey, some harp education, and her beautiful music. Thanks always to Wendy Nordquist, radio voice extraordinaire, and to you, dear listener, for tuning in to Musician Talk on the One, KYMN. Have a splendid day.